and welcome to a special edition of my show, Her Story on the Rock. Typically, Katie and I sit here and talk about famous women from history, but in our interview series, we like to talk to women who are making history and writing about it. Today, we have Alicia Cornwall. Welcome to the show. Hello. How are you? So good. How are you today? Fine. Thank you. Alicia is an author who has written a lot of historic romance fiction, and she's here today to talk about her newest book, The Woman at the Front. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, um, I live in Alberta, Canada, and near the in the foothills of the Rockies. Um, I write full time. I have uh, let's see, five cats, a chocolate lab, and my daughter has a rabbit. So, and my family all works at home. So it's a busy house. Um, and when I'm not uh, not writing, I'm volunteering at a local museum or out in the garden or reading. <laughs> awesome! How did you first get into writing? Um, well, I've, I've sort of always, always been a writer. Um, I wrote uh, copy for uh, direct marketing for a while and other business copy. And uh, I'm the one who always volunteered to do the newsletters um, when I was a mom at the preschool and things like that. And gradually, I just thought, okay, I want to write novels. So, I mean, I always did when I was a kid. And I always thought, all fiction, everything I write is is going towards eventually becoming a novelist. So, and it happens. So that was wonderful. That's great. So this book um, is not your first historic romance novel fiction. You've got quite a few at this point. Yes. Uh, I probably have about 15 or 16. <laughs> I've lost count, I'm afraid. Uh, but Yes. <laughs> Do you find that it's hard to find new things to talk about or no? You're just like, there's so much history and so much romance. I could go in any direction. Well, this one is, uh, it's a little different. It's its more women's fiction than a straight romance. Like it doesn't follow the, the conventions of a romance that um, it's about two people and they have a happily ever after. It's sort of more the story of the, the woman, the female character in the book, which is uh, sort of how women's fiction is defined. But uh, it's there are so many great stories about interesting women out there. And um, uh, I find that women tend to get forgotten. I was talking to I was listening to a podcast by another author that I'm doing an event with next week. And she was saying, yes, men who do the same thing become famous and they get medals. Women who who do amazing things sort of tend to get forgotten by history. So that's uh that's an interesting fact, unfortunately. Yeah, it is. So let's dive into the setting of your book. Can you set the scene for us for what it was like for women in medicine during the World War I era? Okay. Uh, now, I'm writing from a British perspective, so most of my, my details will be for that. Now, World War I lasted from 1914 to 1918, and... Um, before the war, women did a lot of wonderful things during the war. They worked in munitions factories. They were just policemen, firemen. They took over all the jobs that, that men left behind when they went off to war. And um, so before the war, women who wanted to pursue medicine, uh, they faced tremendous hurdles. And uh, med schools just simply, a lot of them didn't admit women. Some did, of course. Um, and 
they were they they were limited as to what classes they were able to take. For example, um, they couldn't take physiology classes or anatomy lectures with men because that was considered in, inappropriate. And after they graduated, teaching hospitals didn't accept women doctors, and they were really left with uh, two choices: they could they could practice um, on women with women and children, or they could emigrate uh, somewhere else to become either missionary physicians or work in the Commonwealth countries. Um, which if they married, even after the war, they had to give up their career. That was it. There was no more career. Now, when they, when they war broke out and they wished to women doctors who wished to serve, um, even though that some of them had money and they set up the most amazing uh, medical units, fully staffed, fully equipped, ready to deploy in the field, they would go to the British uh, British War Office, and one doctor, Doctor Elsie Ingles, 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 was told, "Well, go home and sit down. We don't need you." Mm-hmm. So she tra- walked across the street to the French Embassy and said, "Would you like a fully equipped hospital?" And they said, uh, "May we?" I guess, <laughs> and uh, and took her took her on. And that was the case with a, a number of female doctors. Now, a lot of them were uh, suffragists or suffragettes, and they they were determined to to do this. And they were funded by other politically minded women. Um, and uh, eventually, the British had to bring a couple of them back because they were they were overwhelmed with wounded. And they had to bring some uh, some of the wounded home, and they so they found these fabulous women's hospitals being run. And one was in Paris, and they brought them back, and they said, "Well, start a hospital here," and they did. And it was it was at Endell Street, and the two ladies who ran it were were suffragists, suffragettes actually, and they um, their hospital was one of the finest in in during the war. It served over twenty six thousand people. Wow. So, I do. I think it's often uh, forgotten or kept separate in our brains that a lot of the women's suffrage movement was happening in conjunction to, like, adjacent to World War One. It's the same time period. Yes, and women actually didn't get the vote until 1918, right. and then it was only women after over 30 who owned property. So um, it was kind of a yeah, sort of a here's a here's a little bit. <laughs> so. So let's talk a little bit about your main character, Eleanor. She graduates from med school. She's near the top of her class, but like her family wants her to get married and she wants to go pursue this career in medicine. What makes Eleanor tick? Like as you were writing about her? Well, she's, she's, her father is a, is a physician and she's, She's seen this all her life and her, she has a twin brother and, and he's brought up with the expectation that you are going to go to medical school and you're going to become a doctor. Well, she wants the same thing. She's sort of largely ignored because she's the girl in the family and she's, she's well, I'm going to do this too. So she goes off to medical school and uh, she's the one who passes the entrance exam and uh, does this thing. And then she still finds that her father doesn't care. And her mother simply says, okay, you've, you've proven your point. You've graduated. Now get married mm. and give everything up. And she's not willing to do that. So she still has something to prove. So she starts trying to find an opportunity to go overseas and, and work with the wounded. And eventually uh, someone asks her to go and 
bring home uh, a wounded man, make sure he gets back to England safely with proper medical care. And in return, this person is going to give her um, all the opportunities she could imagine. You know, oh, you can have a practice with society women and become, you know, I'll help you get a leg up. Uh, so she agrees to go and she thinks, oh, now, now I get a chance to see the wounded and to see the new techniques in action. So, and she goes and has, has her adventure. Mm. And so as you were writing for Eleanor and kind of using the world that existed, but creating her world, was there a part that was really fun for you to write? And then inversely, was there a part that was really difficult for you to write? really fun for me. Um, I, I love creating a character that breaks the rules and um, uh, changes things and changes minds and opinions, uh, which which Eleanor certainly does just simply by sheer determination and, and force of will. She steps in, mucks in, gets gets dirty, takes care of things when, when it, it's necessary. Um, and the hardest part was probably being... Um, Eleanor is uh, kick-ass and in charge and bold and brave. And I'm the complete opposite of that. I'm very shy and introverted. I spend my life at, at my desk, you know, listening to the voices in my head. <laughs> so it's, it's one of the best things about being a writer, being able to step into the skin of your character and live another life. And, uh, you know, imagine, well, if I had this choice, how would I have behaved? So that's that's probably the best thing about writing. Yeah. So did your relationship with her um, change as you were writing it? Because, you know, if she's kind of adverse to your own personality, are there moments when you're writing it, you really you're like, yes, get it, girl. And then other moments where you're like, please don't do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um it's um it's completely against my character to to challenge things so yes that was that was a hard uh, a hard thing in some cases um and you know being bold enough to take those those chances as well as being very very kickass she's very feminine um she she has this soft sweet side but she tries to hide it so that she's she's always brave and bold and there's one scene in the book where she's she, she she loves her hair. She has beautiful red hair. And she thinks this is what makes me feminine and gorgeous. And at one point in the book, she's working with the wounded and she realizes that she has to cut her hair because she has lice and she can't do it. And um, the person in the book who becomes her, her love interest does it for her. And she says, well, now I'm ugly. And he says, no, it's, that's not what makes you beautiful. It's what's inside. So that, that part was, you know, that change that, you have to bring what's what's inside out, and she sort of spends the whole book doing that, uh, and that uh, changing her character from "I'm just this person who wants people to see me" to "This is who I really am inside." And do you think that that's the moment, like when people are sitting down and reading the book? Obviously, um, I know my favorite thing to do is just be the life of the main character is that what you think people are going to relate to like jumping into her shoes and just learning how to um a go after this big dream that you're not supposed to do and then b learning to love yourself really for who you are absolutely 
Um, I think that, that when we read, we tend to look at characters and, and either love them or hate them for who they are. And that's, that's an important, uh, reason why we read and why we listen to stories. And, uh, yeah, it gives us an idea of what's possible and lets us see ourselves in others and what we could be and what we could do. Mm. So when you're writing a historic fiction, how much research goes into that process? When you're diving in to get started, is it like, wow, I woke up one morning and it's like, yes, I'm doing a woman in medicine in World War One, Or is it like, no, nah, I got to take some time and figure out what I want to do? Um, well, it, it takes time. I mean, you initially have an idea for a story and then it develops as you as you research it and as you consider how the, the character could be more interesting or the story could be more interesting or plot points develop. Now, in my case, I decided that I was going to write this story set in World War One, and I thought, well, I want it from a female perspective, so that meant a nurse. And I started doing the research, and I realized, well, okay, women aren't allowed, female doctors aren't allowed at the front, although they have female ambulance drivers and female nurses and volunteers. Doctors were forbidden. So I thought, that would make a better story. So, and that's what, uh, and, and then research sort of from there took off into the medical systems of the time and the limitations of those and the kinds of wounds and the battles um, and sort of first person accounts. Now, while I was writing this, uh, the 100th anniversary of the, the end of the war had, was, was coming along. So there were an awful lot of firsthand accounts and um, retrospectives on what World War I was about, which was wonderful. <laughs> it gave me lots to, lots to look at and lots of research. Mm. And did you, so you're in Canada, but you're writing from the British perspective in this book. Was that difficult to shift gears and figure out exactly how you wanted to portray the story? No, not particularly. I mean, all my stories, my romance stories take place in Britain. So I have um, more of a connection probably with British history than Canadian, with the exception probably of World War One. I. I mean, my grandfather and my great uncle were both, uh, they were British immigrants who came to Canada. And then when the war started, they went and fought for the mother country as, as Canadians. Uh, and in one battle, uh, my grandfather was behind the lines with the artillery and his brother was at the front where he was killed. And um, yeah, we, so I grew up sort of hearing those stories and making a, my grandfather made me promise to go find the, his brother's war grave, which we eventually did. Oh, cool. So, yeah. Um, when you're writing a story like this, do you tend to write in a chronological way or do you outline and then just write what feels correct at the moment well i tend to i tend to outline things i do character sketches and so i i know exactly how the character is going to react in any situation they encounter um and uh then i tend to outline each chapter very very briefly before i do it so that i know what's what's happening and what the reactions of the characters are going to be and how it's going to flow into the next chapter so that's, uh, I mean, you you get ideas and you think, oh, eventually they'll, you know, but you have to wait to get there. So I'm I'm probably a very linear writer. Interesting. So I'm a history teacher, and one thing I've always loved about uh, historic fictions is that it really is instructing in such a personal way. 
Do you ever feel um, the pressure of juggling your artistic ability as a writer with your kind of taken on role as a history teacher? Oh, do I ever? My my daughter is a historian. She recently graduated with her uh, her master's. So yes, uh, the the rule is that you know history is history, and you know it's it's hard to write about real people because you don't want to put words in their mouths, and and you know so by you can have a story set around a real person or a real event, but the secondary characters allow a different perspective of that, and not quite so in, invasive or you know. Um, I guess something that's going to alter history. So yes, <laughs> it's a lot of a uh, lot of history around here. <laughs> yeah. So before people go out to find this book and sit down with it, just like you know, fall is coming and everybody's going to have a wonderful time sitting by a fireplace reading this book. Uh, what themes do you really want to come through when they're reading? I guess um, the. the- the possibility of seeing the rules and changing them for the better and for going out into the world. And I I think this is probably a good time for that because there are so many, uh, uh, (laughs) I guess, awful things happening right now. So, uh, you know, being able to sort of go out into the world and make a difference and, you know, make changes and be, be a positive influence on things is, uh, is wonderful. So. Yeah, you are absolutely right. We all need a, a book like that right now. Um, so I guess to, to end us out, where can people find you? Where can they find this book? And then all your other books, because if you're up at like 15, people have to do some catching up if they haven't read your work yet. Okay. Um, they get the, the easiest place to find me is probably my website, which is just www.leishacornwall.com. And that gives you connections to all the books and everything else. Uh, the woman at the front will be available from your favorite independent bookstores or at the library. Um, uh, or it'll be coming out in audio if you prefer to listen to the story in October. And I'm particularly looking forward to that because I haven't, uh, having somebody else read your work is a fascinating thing. (laughs) So, uh, yes, so there's lots of places. And of course, you can check out the book at, uh, at the publisher's website as well, which is Penguin Random House, Berkeley. So that's, uh, that's where you can find me. And if you, if people want to send me an email, um, I always answer if you have any questions or anything like that. So they can, they're welcome to contact me that way. And, my, and the email address is on the website as well. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing this story with the world. As we said, this is a story about going out and putting good into the world and making good change, which is definitely what we need right now. So it was a joy to talk to you and I can't wait for everybody to get this book and cuddle up with it on the couch. Well, thank you for having me today, Allie. It was nice to be here. Oh, it was great to see you.
listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.